clap after that. You know what? You guys showed us up on that one. You guys outdid the band with the clapping and the singing. That was awesome. Good morning. Welcome to Creekside. It's nice. It feels like we go through the school year and then we get to the summertime and people come in with an extra like, ah, this is like there's some freedom here in worshiping this morning, knowing that now it's summertime. Now, I know we have some jobs that we still have to do and uh, and moms, we have kids at home now. So that adds a little extra to it. But it's awesome when the weather's beautiful and our God is on the throne, right? It's awesome. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Uh, and so we can bring that to, to this morning. All of our maybe negative energy we've had throughout the week, we can turn around to positive energy this morning as we turn to our Savior and as we praise Him. And as we're proclaiming that He's the God of angel armies and there's nothing to fear, it'll be hard not to sing out. Uh, and so I challenge you guys to, again, you show us up. You, you, you bring your passion, you bring your energy, and you turn your focus towards God, and then we can all together just praise Him. Good morning. It is a nice day, and thank you, Tim. I love that song there. It's a really a great song of a confession of our faith, and you know what we what we believe determines the way how we live. You know, to believe those things and say those things is important to us. Um, well, this morning we continue in our series in the early chapters of the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and I've hoped we could do a series like this for a number of years, and I'm excited that we're doing it, and uh, I'm happy to be a part of that. And we want to remember what the book of Genesis is about. We're calling it Beginnings. The book of Genesis is a book of beginnings. And uh, we see here a, a nice title slide Mike Johnson made up for me. Thank you, Mike. Because this is a, a time of storm clouds in our message this morning. Uh, on a bright, nice, happy, sunny day, I'm the bearer of storm clouds. Uh, but that's okay. We, we will enjoy this time, I think. Um, Let's do a quick recap of Genesis. It's the book of beginnings. We've looked at chapter 1 and chapter 2 of his perfect creation. It was the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And six literal days, he created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. We looked at that perfect relationship between husband and wife in chapter 2, uh, where God brought Eve to Adam, bone of his bones, flesh of his flesh, and the two shall become one flesh. Uh, one man, one woman. In that first marriage, God created marriage. Uh, in chapter 3, we have the beginning of all the problems we have today, the first sin, when uh, Adam and Eve took of the forbidden fruit from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, and uh, all the problems we have in this world, simply put, is the way the world is the way it is, the, the way human life is the way it is, is because of sin, and we see that beginning of it there in chapter 3. Everything in our world from the natural disasters of storms and earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes, uh, wars, um, human suffering at all levels, our, the crime in the world, the, the rate of divorce, the immorality in our world, all levels of human suffering began there in Genesis chapter 3 when sin entered the world. Uh, and human history from that point on is really about sin. Uh, now we're not going to be covering all of chapters 4 and 5 in detail. Uh, Kyle last week spoke of the story of Cain and Abel, uh, where we have the first murder, Cain murdering his brother Abel. 
And I'll do just a quick summary here, though, because we really want to get into chapter 6 and spend a couple weeks on the story of Noah and the flood. It's a very significant part of the Bible. Uh, In chapter 4, though, after Cain kills Abel, you have an account of his line, his genealogy, uh, going out from him. And you just see a progression from that point on of the world getting worse and worse and more evil and more evil, more corrupt. Uh, You see down in his line a man named Lamech. Now, not the same Lamech that's Noah's father, but in the line of Cain, Lamech, he murders a man like Cain does. And he's not at all repentant about it. He's defiant about it. And then you have uh, uh, his his account of having two wives and and just the development of civilization, their technology, their entertainment industry with the music, uh, bronze and iron weaponry. So you read through chapter 4 there and you just see the development of the world and civilization, but it wasn't for good. Corruption was increasing on the earth. And then in chapter 5, if you read through, you see another line from Adam and Eve. Not the line of Cain now, the ungodly line, but a line through Seth, who is sort of a replacement for Abel, who Cain killed. And through the line of Seth, the, the godly line is preserved, the line of the Messiah. And so you have some important figures in that chapter, most notably Enoch. Uh, Enoch, doesn't, not much is said about him, but what is said about him that is that after 65 years, he had a child, and then for 300 years, he walked with God. And then he says he was not, for God took him. Uh, That's kind of interesting. He just kind of disappeared off the face of the earth. And Hebrews 11 uh, refers back to this event and and says that uh, by faith, Enoch walked with God, and and he did not see death. God literally took him up to heaven. Interesting. Um, Then you have, down from Enoch, you have um, Methuselah, Lamech, and then Noah, so 10 generations down from Adam to Noah at the end of chapter 4. Now, uh, Noah is really just kind of half the story this morning, though. We're going to look at the first half of uh, chapter 6, and it, and it really has two main parts to it. These two main parts are really the two main parts, the two main themes of the entire Bible. So it's a very important message to listen to. First, we have the record of sin entering the world, and it's effect and its impact on the world. Um, Like I said, all calamities due to sin. Everything that's wrong is wrong because of sin. And we're just going to see how how, just how sinful and evil man became in the days of Noah. And sin brings judgment. Uh, From the time of creation until the time of the great flood in chapter 6, you have about 1,650 years. All right. And so God is actually very gracious in that. When you just, we're going to read about how wicked the world had become. He's very gracious in allowing it even to go that long. But at one point, that sin bucket was full. The time of God's patience was over. Because God is a holy God, and he is a just God. And so at some point, when that sin bucket is full, and the time of his patience is over, because he is a holy and just God, he must judge and punish sin. In fact, that the world was so sinful and corrupted that we read that there is actually only eight people on the planet who were actually walking in faith with God at the time of the flood. But even in that judgment, God is a gracious God. God always warns people of judgment before bringing it. He, through Noah, he, he specifically said he would uh, delay his judgment for 120 years. 120 years. So during the 120 years, Noah is constructing an ark of salvation for his family and the animals of the world to repopulate after the flood, and he's a preacher of righteousness during that time, according to Peter. God is warning people before judgment all the time, and um, that's very gracious of him. I used to think that when I'm reading through the Old Testament prophets, 
it was just so gloomy, you know. There's, uh, God is going to bring judgment on this city. God's going to bring judgment on this nation. It's just kind of a dark time throughout all the prophets. But really, looking back on that and being maybe more mature now, I realized that that was so gracious of God to always bring warning before bringing the judgment, always giving people an opportunity to repent and turn from their sins and turn to God uh, before bringing the judgment. So the first major message of the Bible after creation is, is, is not just that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It's that, that God must and will punish sin. His holy nature requires it. And that's what the first part of Genesis 6 talks about. It's patience exhausted, the world so evil and corrupt, and God is going to bring judgment. Now, it's not just a historical matter. It's not just uh, an interesting piece of history to think about for a moment and move on. Uh, this is a message for today, says Jesus. Uh, Jesus takes this account of the pre-flood era of Noah's day and translates it to our day. And Jesus says in Matthew 24, verses 36, 39, speaking of his second coming and, and the judgment, but of that day and hour no one comes, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken um, into judgment and the other left for blessing. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So this, this passage is very important to us because Jesus says that just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be again when Jesus comes again and, and judgment and to reign as king on the earth. It was about 1,650 years from creation to the time of the flood. It's been over 4,000 years since then, um, according to the Bible genealogies, and uh, maybe 4,500 years. But it's coming. Why has he waited so long? Uh, it's a time of his patience again. The sin bucket is filling up, though, and the times are becoming more and more like the days of Noah, and the Lord may come soon. So it's a message. The message of Noah's day is a message for our day, says Jesus. And uh, secondly, the message, the second message of this passage and the second major theme of the Bible is just as important, and that is during this time of God's patience, during the time of his warnings of judgment, if sinners repent, he will forgive their sin. He's a gracious God. Genesis 6, 8 says that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And uh, they lived hundreds of years back then. And, uh, you know, he probably, you see kind of a picture in the children's books of an older man with white hair and all the animals all smiling from the ark. But uh, maybe Noah in the prime of his life looked a little bit like this. We don't know. But verse 9 says that he was a righteous man and that he walked with God. In the midst of the worst of times, morally speaking, Noah was a man who faithfully obeyed God and worshipped God. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were, they were repentant and God showed them grace. He, he made an animal sacrifice and made them clothes to color, cover their shame. He didn't kill them immediately when they sinned. That was gracious. He also graciously limited their lifespan. You think uh, death is a bad thing, and it is. Death is the result of sin. 
but it is also gracious of God to limit our lifespan so that we do not live on forever in a sinful condition. How terrible would that be to live on forever in a sinful condition? God is gracious. And even more gracious, after the sin in Genesis 3, we have the first promise of a redeemer, that one day a seed, a descendant of Eve and Adam, would one day crush the head of the serpent. The first promise of a redeemer through the line of Adam and Eve, of a Messiah that would come, and that's literally fulfilled in Jesus Christ when he came and died on the cross, defeating sin, defeating death and Satan. So God is gracious in the face of judgment. And, and I, I think almost that even the flood, in a sense, is a bit gracious. The world, as we'll see, had become so corrupted and so evil that it was just even just gracious of God to cleanse the earth with a flood. Why should that go on? Okay, so Noah, a man in the midst of an extremely corrupted society, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And that's, we're sinners. And Noah was a sinner. Uh, if you were to read on in chapter 9, you see he's a sinner. He wasn't perfect. He, uh, well, we can read about that in chapter 9 when we get there. But uh, we're sinners like Noah. And uh, when we turn to God, when we turn away from our sin and turn to God, we find grace in the eyes of the Lord by faith in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, Genesis chapter 6. Uh, first of all, the wickedness and judgment of man. Um, let's look a bit closer at this first theme of sin and judgment in Genesis 6. Verse 1. Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men and that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thought of his heart's heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And uh, goes on in the chapter to speak of the floodwaters he would bring on the earth to destroy the world and commanded Noah to build an ark um, for his family and, and, uh, and the animals. So to start, I'm, I'm uh, going to hold off on the first four verses for just a bit, um, then explore what's going on there in just a moment. But first this morning, I have five S's for you. I, I'm not always uh, doing uh, into alliteration, but it worked here, and it was natural. So five S's to help us think through the framework of this passage. Um, first of all, saw. The Lord saw the condition of man. Verse 5 says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and the intent of his thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. And verse 11 says, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. God sees everything. God is omniscient. Uh, he knows everything. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere. He sees down into man's heart into the thoughts of our mind. And he knows everything. And what, when he looked upon this earth at that time, what he saw 
was murder, polygamy, sensuality, violence, revenge, rebellion against God and his revelation. And, and like when Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, you know, they were marrying, giving a marriage, eating. That doesn't sound bad in itself, but what they were doing was going about their everyday business of life without any concern for God, without any regard for God. And, and our culture today is heading very much that way. You can safely imagine in this period when God looks out and sees that every thought of man's heart is evil continually, that this, this would have been a world that had all kinds of wicked philosophies and religions, that it would have been a time when they probably had uh, evil leaders, corrupt leaders, uh, and people groups and nations. The leaders probably struck down law, any laws of righteousness at that time. The people probably engrossed in all kinds of obscene and filthy acts, even to the point, uh, which we'll look in the first four verses in a moment, about having relationships with the sons of God, the demons. Now these, these verses remind us that God sees everything. We need to take that seriously. God sees the sin in our lives today. He sees what's going on in the world today. He knows. He sees what's going on in our culture and he knows all of our thoughts, even those thoughts. And it's both comforting and disturbing at the same time. You know, if we, if we're, you see, if we're living a life for God like Noah, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He knows that. He sees our faith. He sees the righteousness even though we're not perfect, he knows the intentions of our heart. And that's comforting to know that God knows us that well and he loves us even when we fail. But God also sees the sin in our lives and that could be disturbing and upsetting, but it's a reality. Even those sins that we try to keep under the radar, the sins that no one knows about, God sees those sins. He knows everything. He's everywhere. He sees everything. And, and maybe the next time we're facing that temptation, that this thought could come to mind that God sees everything. God knows. No one else might know, but God knows. Second S is sorry. God was sorry uh, over man and sad over his sin. Verse six, isn't, 6 and 7 say that the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. In his love, God grieved that the wicked people on the earth didn't respond to the preaching of Noah, had no regard for him, continued to live in their sin. They didn't repent during the time of his patience. Noah was a preacher for 120 years there, building that ark, and uh, kind of an unsuccessful preaching ministry. I think that would be pretty discouraging that after 120 years that no one responded to the preaching of repentance. Um, but praise God, his family did, you know. I mean, his three sons and wives followed him in the faith. And, um, you know, not every Christian family can say that, unfortunately and tragically today. But thank God that even his family was saved. Well, the Lord was sorry over the sin of man. And uh, does that mean that he changed his mind? That he wished he could go back in time and not create man I don't think it was like that. I mean, Malachi 3.6 says, I am the Lord, I do not change. And that's right. But when it says he's sorry over the sin of man, that means he was grieved over it. He was sad over the sin. Our sin grieves God. Um, God is all-knowing. He's eternal. He sees all points in time at the same time. He, he's an eternal God. We can't comprehend that, but he is. And he certainly knew what was going on long before it happened before it got to this point when he was ready to destroy the world. And he was sorry 
in the sense that he was sad about how sinful man had become. And, and sin grieves the heart of God. Um, the heart of God is grieved when people sin against him now. Um, God knows when people sin against him and he's grieved. Do we grieve God? Are we grieving God? Could it be that we're here this morning grieving God by sin in our lives? Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Is it possible that we're here grieving the Holy Spirit by the way we're living our lives? Let me go on in Ephesians 4.30 uh, to the next two verses that describe some of the things that grieve the Holy Spirit. He says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Is it possible that we're here this morning and that we're bitter about something? Or is it possible that we're here this morning and not willing to forgive something as God in Christ has forgiven us? If so, we're grieving the Spirit of God. The heart of God is grieved when we sin. Uh, next S is said. God said he will destroy man. Verse 7, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. And sin is growing in the world and the lives of the people there for 1,650 years. It got to a point when that sin bucket was full, when God's patience, which is very long, gave way to his righteous judgment. And God must punish sin because he's holy. And the level of sin is so great in the earth that the creator actually announces his intention to destroy the world with a flood. And God has announced this intention again. He says, I am coming again. As it was in the days of Noah, I am coming again. And so it will be. People going about their ordinary business, not having any regard for God, living their lives. But he's coming again, and he will bring judgment again one day. He has said so. Now, fourth S is Satan. Let's look at those first four verses. Now, back up there. A little bit more closely. It's an interesting passage to interpret. We might not come across it again in our sermon series for quite a long time, many, maybe many years. So let's just spend a moment on this morning a little bit more closely. Uh, there's some different views on this, and I'm going to present one to you that's the majority view, the one that the Jews held throughout Bible times, the one the early church fathers held, um, the one I believe, so naturally it's right, right? <laughs> uh, God willing, yes. But it's not an easy one to accept and understand because it seems so over the top, so incredible, um, but as you'll see, it really adds to the narrative of why God had to destroy the world, and it takes the corruption in the world to an even greater level. Uh, now, you remember that promise I mentioned from Genesis 3 that God gave to Adam and Eve that there would be a seed of Eve that would crush the head of the serpent. God promised that a redeemer would come through the line of Eve. Well, you can imagine that Satan and his demons weren't too happy about that. And as always, they seek to destroy the plans of God. He was successful in inciting Cain to commit that first murder. He was successful in cultivating a sinful world system that corrupted everyone on the earth except for some in the line of Seth. And then Satan had a plan to take corruption in the world to such a level uh, that the promise in Genesis 3 might not be able to be fulfilled. Okay, now quick lesson in angelology, demonology. Maybe we'll cover this more fully in a future Creekside View. Uh, we should sometime. But this will be quick and hopefully memorable. All right, so when you think of angels, angelic beings created in the Bible, you have first all angels created together uh, to worship and serve God. Then you have a division, as um, explains in Revelation chapter 12, of uh, Satan, the, referred to as a dragon, 
with his tail, uh, taking a third of the stars of heaven, a third of the angels along with him in his rebellion. And so you have a division now of, of holy angels and demonic angels, uh, the fallen angels, the demons. Um, now, at some point, uh, we also have a further division here. We have, of those who rebelled with Satan, we have some that are loose and active, and we have some that are co confined, that are bound. Uh, we read about the ones that are loose and active in Ephesians 6, that we battle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of the air. And we wear the spiritual armor to fight against those powers. And so there are demons on the earth today, free, loose. And some are bound, according to the Bible in, in uh, Luke 8. Um, you remember that time when Jesus came across the two demon-possessed men at the Gadarenes? And the demons in the man, when Jesus was about to cast them out, pleaded with Jesus not to send them to the abyss. They were fearful of a place called the abyss. They knew there was a place called the abyss that some demons already were sent. And uh, they pleaded with Jesus not to be sent there again. Now, within that last category of confined demons, you have a couple of divisions as well. Some are temporarily bound because some are released during the Great Tribulation in Revelation 9 as a judgment on the earth. And some are permanently bound, according to 1 Peter and 2 Peter and Jude. So if you were to do it quickly, kind of, you know, I was kind of thinking to myself, we ought to have a little YMCA thing here to do the divisions of angels. You got A, angels, all angels together. You got uh, N, you know, some up, some down. I don't know what you do with G-E-L-S, but, you know, you've got, you've got some that are confined and some permanently and some loose confined. So maybe you can remember it that way. Just kind of a brief overview of angelology. So when we look here at verses 1 through 4, we read, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, two that the sons of God saw, uh, verse 2, the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men of, who were of old, men of renown. Uh, first question that you might ask when you read this passage is, who are the sons of God referred to here? There's been a few different ideas on that. Uh, one would be that the sons of God are the, are the sons of Seth, and the godly line of Seth, who intermarry, uh, as they shouldn't have, with the ungodly line of Cain. And you can kind of see how that view will come about from reading chapters 4 and 5. Um, a couple problems with that view is that is there such a thing as a godly line where, where everyone is godly? Why is it that the sons of God are good and the daughters of men are evil? There's just uh, some problems with that view. Also, second one would be that there was the sons of God are kings and rulers of the ancient world and they produce uh, mighty leaders from their union. Um, not real convincing. Thirdly, and this is the majority view, um, that fallen angels cohabitating with human women. And uh, let's give, let's talk about that for a moment. Uh, sons of God in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in these times of writings, refer to directly created beings. Uh, the phrase daughters of men is a, are people created through procreation, whereas sons of God are referring to directly created beings. You also see reference from this time period in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2 when it says the sons of God appeared before God along with Satan in the midst of them. These are the demons referred to as the sons of God here. Uh, Job 1.6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. 
Job 2.1, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. So sons of God are these directly created beings, not the children of human parents. Uh, and also, we have three New Testament passages that refer to this event in the days of Noah um, as common knowledge. They don't explain it in great detail, but they reference it because it would have been common knowledge to the Jews at that time. Uh, let's look quickly at those. 2 Peter 2 says that God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of ungodly, of the ungodly. So it says here that angels sinned in the days of Noah, and God cast them to hell. The word really there is Tartarus, which is a uh, a place in, in Greek mythology, a word used for a place lower than hell, um, a place of imprisonment. They're they put in the chains of darkness to reserve, be reserved for judgment. And we know that demons are active in the world today, so these are different demons confined and bound into a place of imprisonment for whatever they did in the days of Noah. It was, he didn't even have to explain it because the readers would have known. Jude 1. Uh, there's only one chapter in Jude. Jude 1. Verses 6 to 7. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day, as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. It speaks of these angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode. They left their natural bounds their natural realm, and he's reserved them in everlasting chains because of it. And he says what these angels did was the same as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them. We know what the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was, right? Homosexuality. It says the Sodom and Gomorrah, those were people who gave themselves over sex to sexual immorality and went after strange flesh. They, when man left the natural bounds God had set apart for the woman and man had relations with man and woman with woman, Bible calls that going after strange flesh. And the Bible's very clear about the sin of homosexuality. And he says in the same way, uh, these angels who didn't keep their proper domain was in that same way, going after strange flesh. They left their natural bounds and cohabitated with human women. 1 Peter 3, 18 to 20, we read, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but alive in the spirit in which he also went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through human water. And uh, humans are never said to be spirits in prison like this. The spirits are angelic beings. And they were disobedient in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, it says. And Christ, it says, went and preached to these spirits in prison. So what we have here is that after Christ died on the cross, he would go in spirit, in his spirit, uh, to paradise, as he promised the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. But he also went and preached to spirits in prison. He went and preached. What did he preach? I think he preached a proclamation of victory to these bound demons for what they tried to do. See, Satan's goal was to corrupt the human race and create an unredeemable group of people and corrupt the line of the Messiah if he could, which he couldn't. And Christ went in his spirit and preached victory to these demons. You tried to corrupt the human race, but I am victorious. I have conquered sin and death 
The line of the Redeemer has been fulfilled from that great promise in Genesis 3. I have conquered, I have had victory over sin and death. And he preached that victory to them. Satan is a defeated foe. That reminds us today that Satan and his demons, though active in this world today, will meet their judgment one day. One day, according to Revelation, they will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. God is victorious over the demonic realm. And, and this really goes to explain why God had to destroy the whole world. They, they, it even says they, through these unions, and, and it's kind of hard to imagine how this happened. We're not given all the details of it, whether they, they took on human form or where they possessed bodies of men and had these relationships, we don't know. But as a result of these relationships, they produced children that were unusually mighty men who were the revered people of that time. And so it wasn't natural. They went beyond their bounds. And it helps explain why God had to destroy the whole world. Um, just, it doesn't make it easy to understand, but that's what we have here. That's the testimony of Scripture. And uh, I, I kind of wondered why, what, would be there, what would there be to prevent demons from ever doing that sort of thing again? Well, as we saw in Luke 8, the demons were fearful of God's judgment for what happened to those angels. They did not want to be sent to that place of abyss. They would never overstep their bounds again after God sent them to that place. All right, so they almost succeeded, but the Lord said in verse 3, My spirit will not strive with man forever, yet his days shall be 120 years. God put a limit on how long man could continue this way. And he, in a time only known to him, has put a time limit on the world today. We don't know how long it is, but he's coming again and judgment. Um, a bit of trivia real quick. Uh, Lamech. Now, these people lived hundreds of years. They had long lifespans. Um, initially created to live forever, but sin entered the world and corrupted the world and even corrupted our, our genetic uh, DNA within us. And we have sickness and death and disease all because of sin entering the world. And God shortened the lifespan of man and brought that lifespan down and down. And, and after the great flood, it comes down even further. Um, but you have great overlapping of lives during that pre-flood time. You have Lamech, Noah's father. If you look at the years he lived, 777 years, he died five years before the flood. Methuselah, Lamech's father, so Noah's grandfather, Methuselah, the oldest man recorded in the Bible, died at 969 years old. And if you look at the genealogies, he died exactly the year the flood came. And Methuselah's name means uh, when he dies, it will come. When he dies, it will come. Methuselah's very name given to him at his birth was a prophecy of God's judgment. When he dies, it will come. 969 years after Methuselah was born, the flood came. Uh, that's just an interesting bit of trivia. Pretty cool. Okay, the fifth S is salvation. Verses 8 to 9. We've talked a lot about sin and judgment and the reason why the world had to be destroyed. But this is the other theme of it that's so wonderful. The wonderful news in the darkest time of humanity that this world has ever seen is what we read here in verses 8 and 9. That Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. You know, just as the heart of God is grieved when people sin against him, the heart of God rejoices and is pleased when people walk with him. In the midst of all the corruption and violence, here was a man, Noah, who lived an upright life. He walked with God and found favor with God. Do you know this is the first mention of grace in the Bible? 
That is. And now Noah, he, he wasn't a perfect man. You can go on to chapter 9, like I said, where he becomes drunk and uncovered, and then his son Ham treats him shamefully. He did not deserve to be saved. He was a sinner under God's judgment, but God showed him grace. And what characterized Noah's life was walking with God. He lived a life of faith, as we shall see in the coming weeks, where at a time where rain didn't come on the earth, the mist watered the earth, as we see in earlier in chapters in Genesis, that there would be rain and a flood. And Noah built this ark over the period of 120 years in a desert wilderness. And you can imagine what faith that would have taken. Faith in God, faith in his promise. And God showed him grace. Hebrews 11. We read uh, in Hebrews 11 of a lot of Old Testament characters. Heroes of the faith. The whole chapter is written about um, the way people found grace with God. And it was always by faith. It was always by faith. And about Noah, it says in verse 7, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. He was a preacher of righteousness. He was in a world that was totally against God, and yet he faithfully believed in God's promises. He faithfully obeyed God and walked with God in his life probably the worst conditions the world's ever seen. And we look at our world today and we see deteriorating conditions morally. We see changes in our laws and our legislature. We see the decline of the traditional family of husband and wife. We see the disregard for the sanctity of life of the unborn. We see evil in this world with ISIS in the Middle East and the corruption and decay in our world, morally speaking. And we're in a world that's heading much to the same degree as the days of Noah. And in the midst of that, there was Noah, who was light and salt in the midst of that decaying world. He was a man who lived by faith in that time. That's encouragement to us, isn't it? To live by faith in the day we live in, no matter what's going on in this world, to faithfully obey God and follow God all our lives. And may God be merciful to our children growing up here at Creekside Church. Like Noah, he had three sons who followed him in his faith. May God bless us with all our children following us in our faith. You know, just as God saw the wickedness of man, he also saw the righteousness in the heart of Noah. And he knows our heart. That's comforting or that's a fearful thing. If we're outside of Jesus Christ and we don't know his forgiveness and we don't know his grace, it's a fearful thing. Because judgment is coming and we will be judged for our sin accordingly. But if we have found grace in the eyes of the Lord by faith and the person and work of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, his death and his sacrifice on the cross for our sins, we will have grace in the eyes of the Lord. We will escape the judgment. We titled this The Great Escape because the, the great news is that although sin and judgment is coming on the world because sin grieves the heart of God and he's a holy God and he must judge sin, there is a great escape for those who are in Christ. And, and as we head into a time of communion here, Think of the ark that he was about to build. The sin and, that brought on the judgment on the world uh, was about to pound down on the earth and destroy and wipe man off the face of the earth. But only those who were in the ark were saved from that judgment. Christ is a picture. That ark is a picture of Christ. Judgment day is coming again. And only those who are in the ark of safety, in the ark of Jesus Christ by grace through faith and his work on the cross alone, 
not by our own works, not like Cain. You think of Cain and Abel. There was the way of Abel and the way of Cain. The way of Abel was the way of righteousness, the way of faith, the way of obedience to God, bringing that blood sacrifice to the altar. The way of Cain is the way of man, the way of man's effort, the way of man trying to please God and do whatever he can to be right with God, and it's a way of failure. And those are the ways of the world today. There's a way of man, and there's a way of righteousness and faith that comes through the righteousness in Christ we can receive through the gift of salvation. That sin bucket, I gotta imagine that sin bucket is about full again when we look at our world today. The time of God's patience probably coming to an end soon. Could be any day. And are we in Christ? Are we in that ark of salvation? Have we found grace in the eyes of the Lord like Noah? That grace is available. Christ has paid the penalty for sin. And if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, will you receive the gift of his grace today? Let's pray and give thanks for the bread and the juice this morning. Father, we we look at our culture today and we see uh, how it's seemingly getting worse and worse by the decade. And uh, even changes in recent years here that just make us think that, Lord, your return for judgment has to be soon. Uh, How long will you let it go on? And yet at the same time, we we read in in, in the book of Peter that you are long-suffering. You are a God who is slow to anger. You are a God with a long fuse. And yet someday, the judgment day will come. And Lord, we thank you that you have provided us a great escape, that there is a way to be right with you through the work of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. We thank you that he paid the penalty for our sin. We thank you that he gave his life for us that we might have life and escape that great judgment. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning outside of the faith who doesn't know if their relationship with you is right or not, I pray that this would be a day that they would come to you in repentance, turn from their sin and turn towards you and accept the free gift of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ and be right with you forever and escape the future judgment. Lord, it's comforting to us that one day Everything that's wrong in this world, all the chaos, all the evil will be made right when Jesus returns. And may we be found ready, waiting for our Lord, faithfully watching, faithfully waiting, living a life of faith and righteousness before you. And now as we take the bread and the juice, we're just so thankful for what made that possible to live a righteous life. And it was the work of Christ, his death on the cross. I give you thanks in his name. Amen. We're going to sing a new song for you guys. As you are taking the communion, you guys can listen to the words. And as you learn it, just sing with us. As we're reminded of our, our God's grace for us all the time. defense our righteousness is only from God and this week as we go out from here I just want to encourage you that we have a world of people out there that don't know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ who don't have a relationship with him that if judgment day should come today come this week come next month come this year 
there will be many, many people who have never accepted Jesus Christ and the forgiveness he offers. Will we go out in this time of God's long-suffering and the time of his patience and be a preacher of righteousness in a sinful culture, just like Noah was? And uh, what's amazing to me really is not so much that uh, there was a great period of sin unparalleled in human history and it was so awful and wicked, but what's even more amazing to me is that that anyone was saved at all, that even Noah and his family were saved, that anyone should be given the righteousness because if God gave us what we deserved, he should have given it to us a long time ago. And if Noah got what he deserved, he would have gotten it in the form of God's judgment. But God was gracious to Noah and his family. And God is in a period of now and time of his patience. And he's long-suffering toward us, as Peter said, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so as we go out here, let's have a heart and a burden and a vision for reaching the lost, the people in our spheres of influence and others we don't know yet. And also, think of Noah living a righteous life in an ungodly world. Is there an area in our lives, remember God sees all, that needs some work? Maybe there is. Maybe there is some secret sin in our lives. God sees that sin. Be right with him today. And uh, come in confession. We have, like what's been mentioned in previous weeks, people who would love to pray with you and counsel with you if there's something you'd like to confess and be right with God for. Uh, Lord, let me just thank you again for this time this morning. Lord, for the richness of the treasure of your truth here in Genesis 6. We bless you for placing us in that ark of safety, the ark of Christ. And it's a life of faith. We thank you for him that when the floods of life rise up in this life and beat us down, we have hope for a better life in the future. We have a savior, the Lord Jesus, who gives us peace and strength through those times of storm. And when the storm of judgment comes one day, Lord, we thank you that we have a savior, a redeemer, that by faith in him, we can escape that great judgment. Let us go from here, Lord, encouraged by this truth and reality and motivated to live godly lives and motivated to reach the lost in this time of your patience. We give you thanks and all the glory in Jesus' name.